0: Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Good morning, Southbridge. I've got to tell you uh, what's going on in my heart right now. I've got an excitement about today's message, and I feel weird about it. Because it's a heavy topic, and so it's like, we don't get up there and like, let's go, and then start saying the content of the things that I'm going to talk to you about this morning. But we've been doing this series called Be Connected, and what makes me excited about uh, what we're about to do is that if we would actually obey the command that we're looking at today, it would change us. it change us individually, it changed change us as a church. Um, I'm not saying we're bad as a church when I say that, but it'd be like another level. And so I'm excited. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6 today. If you want to go ahead and get there, I'm going to pray for us as we open up the scriptures uh, that God would just open up our hearts. And so let's pray to him this morning. Father, thank you that you are a good father and uh, that you care about us, that you want us to to be with you. I pray we would sense your presence as we open up your word, um, that you would speak into our hearts and our lives and the things that are happening. And a lot of stuff's happened this week and uh, we come in here today with an extra hour of sleep, and so hopefully refreshed and focused and not as distracted as sometimes some other times that we come in this room. And I pray for our church family, that you would use this message that we're about to look at uh, as a game changer for us. And I pray, God, for those that are guests that are here today, they'd get a sense of uh, the vibe of the people that are in this room, and uh, we really care about each other. And I pray that we would be not just talking about being connected as a sermon series, but that we'd be living this stuff out and that you would change us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, Galatians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And uh, maybe the only reason why I'm conflicted this morning is because we're talking about a topic that really brings tension in Christianity. There are a lot of things that have tension in Christianity. Everything doesn't just fit into our nice little boxes. This is one of them. And so think about it. On one hand... We are commanded to have joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Jesus came, John chapter 10, verse 10. I came that you could have life, that you could have it abundantly. In a couple weeks, and just listen to this, it's going to be Christmas in a couple weeks. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be singing song Joy to the World. There's a chorus that we sing as a church, and I don't know if they'll play this one at Macy's and Harris Teeter and all that stuff. They'll play Joy to the World. But we sing about joy, joy, unspeakable joy. It is illegal in North Carolina to sing off-key, by the way. I'm aware of that. But we're going to sing those words. But to the same book that that Jesus says, I came that they could have life and they could have it abundantly. says in John chapter 16, in this world you will have trouble. And so the tension is we've got on the one hand, we're supposed to have the joy of the Lord. On the other hand, sometimes life is heavy. Sometimes things are tough. And just think about your weekly responsibilities that you have to do, just normal stuff. I'm not talking about tragedies in your life right now, not the trouble that's promised in John chapter 16, but just think about life. And so looking out at the audience, you've got some people that are single, some people that are married, some people have bigger kids, adult kids, some people have little kids. So think about the things that you have to do. Think about other people's expectations in your life. Some of you are employees. And so you've got a boss, and maybe there's pressure from your boss, or there's pressure from your boss's boss, or there's pressure from some other part, shareholders, some of you are the owners of the company, and so you still have customers to satisfy, clients, whatever you want to call them, partners in the business, you've got pressure from that. Okay, you can handle that. But then you also have, some of you have relationships, some of you that are single, you've got all the pressure of other people's expectations, so are you dating anybody, are you ever going to do? and all that stuff. I, I hear that, I know that, let's not do that to anyone today, how about a free zone from that today? And some of you are married, and there's the pressures of marriage and the communication with that other person. You got kids, you got little kids, and you're just trying to keep them alive. And then they get a little bit bigger, and you're like, you're just trying to make them not to make a mess of their life and destroy their life. And then at the same time, you're supposed to like clean the house. And they never start picking stuff up, I'm realizing, as we're staging through these things. It's like things are a mess. It's just crazy around there. You gotta get the house clean, put meals on the table, you gotta pay the bills, mow the lawn. The pastor talks to you about breaking this illusion of intimacy. I'm supposed to have a social life in addition to this. I'm supposed to have a date night with my spouse if I have a spouse. And, and you're supposed to, and think about all the stuff you have to do. Do your taxes, be a good neighbor. You serve in the church, that's a good thing, but sometimes it feels like another responsibility responsibility. responsibility. And I haven't hit on some of y'all's stuff. That's just daily responsibilities. We're not talking about trouble yet. Think about trouble. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. There'll be persecution if you are walking faithfully with Jesus. It's promised. Anybody who follows Jesus, you're going to receive persecution. So that comes. There's demonic oppression, spiritual oppression, things that come into life, mental illness. Christians are not exempt. That happens. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes it's another family member. Somebody gets sick, you spend time in the hospital you weren't planning on having. That's stressful, that's trouble in this world. Some of you are married, but you're not sure how long that's going to last. Some of you have recently been through divorces. Some people have cancer, you're going through treatments. That's just stuff in this church. Okay, we're not talking about in the world. Like, think about all, we're not talking about like hurricanes, people living in Puerto Rico haven't had power to Florida, Houston. Not, not, not the families of the eight people that were killed in New York City this week. We've been talking about lots of the tragedies that we see going on. Orphan crisis next Sunday's Orphan Sunday. We'll have some stuff in the lobby to be able to connect with some of that stuff. And there's all kinds of problems in our world. So I'm not even talking about that just in this church. So in light of all of that, I'm gonna ask you a question this morning. I don't do this all the time, but I want you to write down the answer. We're gonna come back to it at the end. It's for you. I'm not gonna ask you to turn it in. But here's the question. What's the greatest burden in your life right now? If you have a device, you can just type it on the device. If you've got your worship program, you just jot it down on your worship program. But what is the greatest burden in your life right now? Because sometimes it feels like life is just too much. So you've got all those, the weight of the regular responsibilities that are always happening. And then you throw on top of that a problem? Like, we can't. We don't have margin for problems. And some of you are there right now. I get that. We've all been there at some point or another. I'd be willing to bet. And here's what I want you to know. That God has a plan even in that. Part of his plan is what we're going to be looking at today in Galatians chapter 6. As we're commanded to bear one another's burdens. So if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 6. If you turn there with me uh, towards the back of the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians uh, right here. Galatians is not a real long book. Six chapters and we're going to be in chapter 6 of it. And what's happening here is that the people... Uh, that are being written to here these galatian believers have uh, burdens that are being heaped on them they're religious burdens they've got people that sometimes we refer to as legalists. at this time they call them judaizers and there are people that came in after the apostle paul had gone to this area told these people about jesus they had trusted jesus as their savior some people came in and said yeah that jesus stuff is great but there's more to the story believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus. They're not telling them not to do that. They're saying, if you want to be a real Christian, you've got to go deeper. And here's what deeper means. You've got to obey the rules. Their rules are the Mosaic law, being circumcised, eating certain types of foods, all, all these things. That they, you basically, you've got to be Jewish. And then Paul comes in and he says, no, no, no. Let me pause. Some of you are like, I don't know, Mosaic law, what's he talking about? Some people's church experiences are similar. You trust Jesus as your Savior. They'll talk about the gospel. They'll talk about the gospel the same way we talk about the gospel. but They talk about living out your faith. And, and they'll say, hey, if you want to live out your faith, good Christians would never do these things. They'd always do these things. The never-do list is usually a lot longer than the always-would-do list, by the way, too. And the never-do list can change based on what, what area of the country you're in, what your denominational background is, all that kind of stuff. It usually has about to do with like, things you would not drink or drink, things that you would, clothes that you would wear. I remember when I started dating my wife. She grew up with a pretty legalistic background. And I remember that like, wearing jeans was rebellious. I did not know that denim was demonic. But apparently, in those circles, it was. And uh, if it, I don't think they would ever preach on Jesus turning water into wine. Maybe water into grape juice, like they paraphrase or, or redo something there. But uh, more concerned about what's going on in your refrigerator than in your heart. And some of you know what that experience is like. And so that's what the Galatians are facing it's an additional burden. We started off by faith, and then what Paul does is he comes in and he goes, no, you started by faith. That's how the Christian journey begins. That's also how you live it. And he uses the analogy of a race. Who cut in on you? You started so well. What happened? You continue by faith, continue to live by faith. Jesus fulfilled the law. He took the curse. And then he goes on and talks about the law being taken care of. And then in chapter 5, he talks about living by the Spirit that the Spirit would guide your life, not your flesh, not all these outward rules. You've been free. It's for freedom. You've been set free. Here's what it is to live by the Spirit, and chapter 6 then flushes it out. And if you think about it for a second without reading chapter 6, if you haven't yet, what do you think chapter 6 is going to say? This is what life in the Spirit looks like. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living in you. Here's what it looks like to do it. What do you think it looks like? Do you think it looks like all the spiritual gifts? Because that's not what chapter 6 talks about. Do you think it would look like all the miraculous things that would happen? Now, let me say this for those of you who are guests at our church, we believe that God delivers, heals, that God can still do the miraculous, that He still does the miraculous, that God is so big, there's nothing He can't do. That's not what chapter 6 talks about. Chapter 6 talks about life and community. You want to know what a spirit filled community looks like? Look at chapter 6. Look at it with me. Brothers, verse 1. Brothers, he's talking to other believers. If you're not a believer in Jesus, we're glad you're here. You can hang out, but he's not talking to you today. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, who are the spiritual? This sounds like this elite group of Christians. So remember the context, chapter 5. It's anybody who's filled with the Spirit. Here's what you have to do be filled with the Spirit. Walk in step in dependence. Walk by faith that God's going to guide your life. Not by the flesh, doing all the things that you want to do, sinful things you want to do, but what does the Spirit produce? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. This, doesn't mean, this means you don't have to have a degree to be a spiritual person. You don't have to have been a Christian for 20 years to have been a spiritual person. You don't have to have you know, read the whole Bible all the way through from cover to cover to be a spiritual person. That's not what he's talking about. It's not some elite group. It's Spirit-filled people. So those who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, the person in sin. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And here's our command today. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he has something, when he has nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test, examine his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Interesting way to end that paragraph. Here we've got a picture of Life and community, what the spirit-filled community looks like. And at the heart of it is this command. We're looking at these one another commands as we go through this series. There's about 59 of them in the New Testament. And the one here is to bear one another's burdens. So let me tell you something about this command. Here's what's interesting about it, is that it's so different if we would actually do this than what most people experience at church or even expect at church. Most people expect comfort, convenience. It's okay if the pastor steps on my toes a little bit, but if we would actually do this, this is like when you look at the church, and oftentimes you talk about Acts chapter two is a picture of the church. He's given us another glimpse of Christian community. This is what Christian community looks like, that we bear one another's burdens, and what does that mean? Well, we're gonna talk about that today. Those are gonna be our points, and the first one is simply this, that we must be willing to get messy with one another. I don't know what you wrote down on your piece of paper, everybody here has probably different things that you would write down if i ask you you know what's the greatest burden in your life what is it and as you think about what that is i'm sure that you might tell some people here what it is but if we really got involved if we really pressed into whatever that issue is i bet you would get messy and can i be honest with you about something in my own life i'm a neat freak Anybody here who I've been in a small group with, you know that that's true. I don't like to sweat. Multiple showers a day. I'm not so bad that I, you know, alphabetize my pantry. Some of you are. I don't understand that. I I appreciate it. And in fact, I I think that's pretty awesome. That's just I'm not at that level yet. But I like things a certain way. Like I like them in their place. I like things to feel organized and all of that. Not everyone in my house feels that way. Specifically the smallest people in my house do not feel that way. And so one truth is I'm a neat freak. Another truth is I'm a parent. And so there's this unique time uh, regularly in my house. It's called nighttime, and it's bedtime. And I'm forced to go into my two smallest children's room. And every time, I cannot believe how bad it is. Every time. And so I'll, like, dodge toys coming through. It's, like, clothes and stuff. I'm like, is this your friend? I don't even remember us buying this. There's just stuff there, spin moves to get to the bed, you know, to tuck them in. Sometimes I'll shout out how bad it is. How unbelievable it is. I'll tell them tomorrow, before you come downstairs in the morning, pick this up. Now, they obviously didn't because I said it yesterday. Sometimes I'll threaten, we're going to sell every toy in this house. You know, it's like, depends on how bad it gets. But every once in a while, I start picking stuff up. And I make them get out of bed and pick stuff up too, by the way, too. I'm not just like this saint here. And so I'll start picking stuff up and we'll get the stuff picked up that's on the floor. And if I feel really risky, really dangerous, I'll go where no parents should go under the bed. And there's stuff under that bed. There's like, why are you eating in your room? Like, I think this is food. It looked like it was food at one time, and just a mess. It's a mess. It, you want that's like a whole nother level of messy. That's what Paul's talking about in this passage. Not getting under the bed with your kids, but a whole nother level of messy. See, all of us here will acknowledge that we're sinners. I believe. Every Christian, you start your Christian faith by acknowledging your sin and your need for a Savior. And So we all have sin. Jesus took care of the penalty of our sin. We're still dealing with the presence of our sin. So there's still sin in our lives. Everybody here, some of the stuff you wrote down might have been sin that was your greatest burden. Somebody else's sin in your life, ripple effects maybe, your own sin. But if we start pressing into our burdens, all the burdens that are mentioned, it gets really messy because we start dealing with sin. The command in verse 2 here to bear one another's burdens is actually a very general command. A burden is just a heavy weight. Oftentimes in, old, in the times when this was written uh, in the Greek literature, it was used of a stone, like a big heavy stone. It was more than a, one person could carry for a long period of time. You might be able to pick it up, but not for a long period of time. And the idea here is to carry with Endurance. And so we need each other in this. It's a weight that's too much for one person to handle, which is probably what all of you wrote down. It could include any kind of burden, this command, just verse 2. So, mental illness included. Cancer included. Demonic oppression included. You lose a job, that's included. You've got you're underemployed, you've just got more bill pressure than you have income coming in, that's included. It's taking you longer to find a job than you thought it would, that's included. All of that's included, but when you get into the context here, it gets really specific. Because remember our context, back to verse 1. What did verse 1 say? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, he's actually talking about bearing the burden of sin. And it's not uncommon to talk about sin at church. It's common to quote verses like 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, just, he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's not popular is to quote 1 John 1, 1.8. Do you know 1 John eight? 1, It says in 1 John 1.8 this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so let's let's ask the question I asked at the beginning a little differently. What's your greatest sin burden in your life? Let's just do our own lives right now. If you were to write it down, and you don't have to write it down, neighbor might look over or whatever, what's the greatest sin burden in your life? What's the area that God's chiseling away at right now? In what way is he trying to make you more like Jesus? Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's something that you'd rather not say out loud. Because there's certain sins that we're okay with saying out loud, right? But there's other ones. At the root of it, maybe it's just an intense selfishness. What is it for you? And It's saying here, if anyone is caught in any transgression. That word caught is an interesting word. In verse 1, what does it mean to be caught? It might mean... Like in John chapter 8, when there's a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. I have lots of questions about how that happened. I think the guys are a little twisted that catch her in that, and it seems like they've got some pretty bad motives. But she was caught actually in her sin. That might be included here. But more likely, the way this is written, it's probably somebody who's in a sin and it's trapped them. They may not even realize they're trapped. Like an animal that gets caught in a trap in the wilderness, they've got no shot at getting out, they're going to gnaw off a limb maybe, or... Somebody else has got to come along and let them out of it. That's the idea here is that somebody's caught, they're trapped, and you get to verse 2, bear one another's sin burdens. You're going to help your brother out of the trap, help them out of this sin. It's like what we see in the Old Testament, classic example is David, David with Bathsheba. David sins, he sleeps with another man's wife, and then what happens is what we oftentimes see happen in people's lives is that one sin leads to another sin. So he tries to manipulate circumstances so he can get out of it. If you know the details of the story, he doesn't just kill this woman's uh, husband. He tries to get the husband to sleep with her so that it looks like it's not his child. And then he can kind of walk away. He'll know what happened. She'll know what happened. A couple other people do too, but he can get away with it. The guy's got too much honor, which should humble him even more and call him to repentance, but it doesn't. And so there's another sin on top of another sin on top of another sin, which is often what happens for us, is that we sin and then we want to maintain our reputation. We cover it up, and then we sin again, and we slant it in a certain light. Maybe there's slight acknowledgements or whatever, but we, we cover it and we keep going, and eventually we don't even realize what we've done because we're living in this cycle of deception. That's where David was at. And you see it when his friend in 2 Samuel chapter 12 comes to him and confronts him. He has to be creative in how he confronts him, and Nathan is a picture of a burden bearer because he comes in, and he speaks gently. What does verse 1 say? If anyone's caught to any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, fall into the same sin, be tempted by other things in the process. So Nathan comes to David, and Nathan says, there's a story about a rich guy and a poor guy. And a rich guy's got tons of livestock, and the poor guy, he's just got this one little ewe lamb that he lets eat at his table. And the Bible actually says that the ewe lamb was like a daughter to him, it was like a family member. He said, but the rich guy has a guest who comes along, and he wants to eat. And the rich guy doesn't want to kill any of his own lambs, and so he goes and he takes the poor guy's lamb, the only lamb that he has, slaughters it, feeds it to his guest. And then David burns with anger. He says, that guy should die. He's got to pay four times over what he did. And then Nathan says those famous words, you're the man. And it wasn't a compliment. You're the man, David, in the story. He didn't realize it. He didn't realize he was talking about himself. He's so trapped in his sin, caught in his sin, he didn't even realize it's about him. At this point, he's already killed Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba. Bathsheba's given birth to this child. And then Nathan calls David to repentance. He's bearing his burden with him, putting his own life on the line, Nathan was. And David repents. And God's dealt with the penalty, but there's still consequences, there's still a the presence of sin. The child dies. And you see the people around him, afraid to even talk to him because of his power. Who's helping him? Who's helping you? Who are you helping? That's the picture here. It's to be like Nathan. Who's, who's trapped in sin? They might not even see it, but you've got to be close. You've got to know people well enough to know these things, to see these things. And, and the problem for us in the church is oftentimes we deal with sin lightly. Jeremiah the prophet talks about this. In Jeremiah uh, chapter 6, he says this. They've healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. That is typical church, just so you know. We're okay. Come as you are. It doesn't, whatever your sin is, we love all sinner. We love the sinner. hate the sin. we got all these slogans and all these sayings. Typically what that means is this. It's okay. We'll be okay. I sin too. You sin. Everything's going to be fine. That's fake peace. Peace, peace. There's no peace. To, real, to really live in community? The New, what the New Testament says, and what we most of the time not only experience in American church, but actually want from American church, is not at all the same. We're playing games. And the New Testament's saying, no, you get in, and it gets messy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's famous. He wrote a book called Life Together. He, he, he came along in the time when uh, Hitler was on the rise, and not everyone realized he was a madman, but Bonhoeffer did, and he was part of what they called the resistance and he lived with some of his students. He was a German pastor. They worshiped together. They lived together. And, and what he says is this. Once you get involved in people's lives and you get past this fantasy idea of what community looks like, because a lot of times we talk about it. It's like, we're going to pray the Bible together. We're going to be studying together. It's not going to be like the spiritual highs together. Once you get past that and you start living and start offending one another, start bothering each other, he said, now we've got something. Now, but it's messy. It is messy. That's the first point. second point is this, that we must love with an extreme love. Go back to verse 2, our, our verse today in this commandment. We must love with an extreme love. If we're going to bear one another's burdens, we must be willing to get messy with each other. If we're going to bear one another's burdens, we must love with an extreme love. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. There's our command. Heavy weight, stone. They can't, you can't carry it on your own for a long time. We help each other out with that weight. And then the second part would be shocking to the Galatians. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Law? We're talking about law. Think about that. What's Galatians all about? These legalists have come in. They've given them all these rules. And then Paul said throughout the whole book, no, 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 forget all that stuff. The law shows you you're sinful. You came to a Savior. Keep walking with that Savior. He's got commands in your life because he loves you. It's by faith you obey the commands. It's not so that you can get approval from God you obey the commands. It's by faith. You trust that he's actually telling you the command for your own good so you walk in the command. That's faith. Not not you have to get God's approval. Forget that law stuff. Christ fulfilled the law on the cross. In fact, if you've got your Bible, go back a couple verses in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He dealt with the law. Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So it would be shocking for what Paul says in the second part of verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You think about these people, they're under all these laws. Let's have uh, dinner with our family this week and a couple of our girls were eating chicken fingers because like all kids eat chicken fingers, right? It's like one of the mac and cheese, chicken fingers, like one of three things that are on the child's uh, palate list there. And one of the kids is eating chicken fingers and I said, do you know there's a law in Georgia, and this is true by the way, there's a law in Georgia that you cannot eat fried chicken with utensils. They truly want it to be finger looking good. I'm serious. (laughs) It's, like, it's not just offensive to Southerners. It's not just like bad social etiquette. It's actually against the law. You can look it up. Some of you got your devices right now. Feel free to do so. Check it out. It might be just one area of Georgia. I can't remember. But it's a law there. And so I said it to my kids. And then I started telling them other, like, I've read these, like, because stu- you do look up sermon illustrations, you learn all these stupid facts sometimes. And so I said, uh, I said, you know, in Idaho, it's against the law to commit cannibalism. And you're like, well, yeah, it's not in any other state. <laughs> Consensual cannibalism, apparently. Hey, would you like some calf? <laughs> Here apparently, it's okay. And there's all these laws. Like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's illegal to sing off key in uh, North Carolina. I'm thankful I don't see a bunch of our. I think our law enforcement guys are going to be in the second service today. Maybe I won't do that in the second service. There's a bunch of laws. Some of you have your taxes done, not because you don't know how to do math. You don't want to go to jail. And you don't, there's about 7,500 pages of tax law, I think is one of the last, the most recent. It's probably more than that now. It grows every year. In fact, Congress, if they're doing their job, they're writing new laws. They write new laws. There's all kinds of... There's about 20,000 laws to own a gun. I know some of you hunt, and some of your gun owners. 20,000 laws, just about that. Do you know those? Uh-uh. I promise you don't. There's just so many laws. And so we oftentimes, there's just so many, we just forget about it. For them, there's over 600 laws. And Paul's just told him, hey, you don't have to obey all those laws. It's not about all those laws. Jesus Christ, you couldn't fulfill the law. You're going to break the law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. He began to curse for you on the tree. He bore your burden. That was the picture. He bore your burden on the cross. So what's he talking about here when he says, you'll fulfill the law of Christ if you bear one another's burdens. You fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? If you've got your Bible, look over one chapter. Chapter 5, verse 14. Chapter 5, verse 14 says this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus gets asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God, love your neighbor. If you love God, you're going to love people because your vertical relationship impacts the horizontal relationships. Love God, love people, and then you'll do all the other stuff. Problem is, we don't do that. We don't love God. We don't love our neighbor. We love ourselves. And that's what this is fighting against. It's actually pushing us to go outside of ourselves and actually care about what's going on in other people's lives. You, and you want to know if you love your neighbor? Will you bear their burdens? Will you help them carry that weight? Not just of normal responsibility. they got to get out of bed in time. they got to pay their bills. Like that stuff has to happen. But sometimes there's trouble. Sometimes the weight is more than any one person can carry. Who's carrying that burden with them? When you do it, you show an extreme love because you give a picture of what Christ did for us. Listen to this verse from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Talking about Jesus, as he himself bore our sins, bore, bury one of those burdens, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. It's referring to, in Isaiah chapter 53, where it talks about he was crushed for our iniquities. He bore our sins. He was stricken by God, smitten by him. And so the cross is a picture of a burden bearer. Jesus is carrying your sins. And he deals with the penalty of your sins. But he leaves us here on this world where sin is still present. And still even as believers, there's the presence. He's dealt with the penalty. We still deal with the presence of sin in our lives. And what's his plan in that? Each other. That we would help bear one another's sin burdens. And in so doing, we put on a picture, a display, a movie, a living demonstration of Jesus Christ in the flesh through us. Because Jesus lives in you, right? These simple truths that we learn, the kids are learning right now. If you're a believer in Jesus, Jesus Christ lives in you, then how does Jesus make himself known? Here's one of the ways right here. We have to do this. We have to actually do this. And it's extreme love. I saw one video online this week. Some of you may have seen it too, of a guy. He was an orphan. His name was Josh. And he was talking about his life and the (laughs) burdens that had come into his life. uh, Abandoned by his parents is how he became an orphan. Um sexually abused by another foster child, was bullied so bad at one point, tried to take his own life. And he's talking about the walls that you build up and how angry you get when those are the things that happen in your life. But some of you that might be the some of you might have written down your greatest burden, something that happened in a long time, maybe abuse. And that's where his, he was at. And he talked about going to this one house and this guy came out, it was this huge guy, six five, like three hundred and fifty pounds, his name was Rodney, and he said, I know I know what I'll do to run. He started making fun of him because of his weight. And he had these defense mechanisms he used to try and get people to kick him out, the foster parents to kick him out of the house. He was trying to be obnoxious, to prove that he was unlovable because of the experience that he had in life. And so he kept trying to push the bar, kept trying to push Rodney to kick him out of the house. And he said he caught things on fire, was obnoxious, said rude stuff, got in trouble, did all these things. And he said three years later, couldn't shake this guy, 17 years old at this point. So he said, I had to take my game to the next level, started committing check fraud Put $90 into a bank account, ended up writing about $10,000 worth of checks, got arrested, called Rodney, said, hey, can you come pick me up and bail me out? Rodney said, yeah, I'll come bail you out tomorrow, but you sit there tonight. And he goes and picks him up, brings him back to the house, says, we're going to sit down, we're going to have a talk. And Josh said, I knew, I'd had this talk so many times before. He, got, he thought he had gotten to the point where he was going to get kicked out. And he said, then... This guy sits down at the table and he says to me, listen, you can keep messing up your life, you can keep pushing us away, keep trying to get kicked out of here, keep causing problems, but you need to get it through your thick head. You are not a problem. You're an opportunity. And he said, as a 17-year-old, he goes, that was the cheesiest thing somebody could have said to me. I said, but then I realized that guy meant it. And then he said, that was a turning point in my life. There's one person, one person that would bear burdens, that would go get, pursue they would get in the mess. So they get underneath the be- another level of messy, and it shows extreme love. Not just uh, it's. You gotta pay your bail. Stop doing that stuff. You know it's wrong. You know do some extra chores around the house. I'm he- I am not going anywhere. I am here, and, and I'll I'll walk through this with you. You you I can't control the decisions you make, but I'm here with you. That's what it's supposed to look like. That's what Jesus did for us. But there's a warning in this passage. That's our third point, The bearing burdens is dangerous. So, Bearing burdens, if we're going to bear each other's burdens, it doesn't mean we've got to get messy with each other. If we're going to bear each other's burdens, it's going to be an extreme love. Not a love you, it's still cool that we go to church together, even though you're sinning and you're messing your life up. Let me tell you something, the lady out in the lobby who's smiling at you after the service, a big old smile on her face, super friendly, night dressed nicely, she's a sinner. The guy that comes walking in and he looks worn out. Like, he, he, like what happened last night? It was bad. You got something in common with him. It's messy. It requires extreme love. And number three, it's dangerous. Look at the, all the verses again. I'm reading read the whole passage again. Verses one through five. Notice the warnings. Remember our context is somebody who's caught in sin. But the passage isn't about the person caught in sin. Notice this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Then who gets warned? In a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself. Not the sin, not the person trapped in sin, the spiritual person. Lest you too be tempted. Then our command, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Then another warning, for if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And another warning, but let each one test his own work. The warnings are all for the person who's helping, the burden bearer. Test his own work, examine yourselves, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And this is somewhat confusing. We'll get to this in just a minute. For each will have to bear his own load. Wait a minute, I thought you said bear one another's burden. Now you're saying bear your own load. We'll get to that in just a second, but you notice here that all the warnings here are for the person that's the burden bearer. Warning, warning, verse 1, verse 3, verse 4, the majority of the passage is actually warning the person who's going to fulfill the command to bear one another's burdens. Verse 1, that you too wouldn't be tempted, maybe by that same sin that you're helping the person with, but probably, when you look at verses 3 and 4, by the sin of pride. Go go through it. It says, you you too will be tempted, verse 1. Then verse 3, don't be deceived. Then verse 4, test your your own work. Then reason to boast, not because you're better than somebody else. You're going to look at yourself, and you know what you're going to find? The only reason you have to boast is in the Lord Jesus Christ, because you too are a sinner. So then it's easy to be gentle, which means to be responsive to someone else's needs. It's easy to be gentle when you realize that you too are capable of everything that you're helping out with. There's a lot of warnings in this passage. And it makes me think of the the culture that we live in. And There's a a verse that's probably the most popular verse in our culture right now. It's not John 3.16 anymore. It's Matthew 7.1. Judge not lest you be judged. Who are you to judge me? But, Most people don't read verse five. You can read verse five on your own if you'd like to, but it got me thinking this week about this game. Some of you played it as a kid. Remember this game? Operation. (laughs) Some of you may have become doctors because of this game. Many of the rest of us decided this was probably not for us because of this game. Because what happens is you've got they've got medical issues on this guy. Like, I don't know if anyone's ever had their Adam's apple removed. Maybe that's a real I'm not a medical doctor. and then the nose lights up as soon as I go in there and it starts vibrating on me. Loser, <laughs> you're not capable of this. But I noticed on this when I pulled it out this week that um, the eyes are not an option. Think about a delicate surgery, the eye surgery, right? And think about the warnings that are in this passage of Scripture. You're restoring someone from sin. That's the word that's used in verse 1, restore them. It's like if somebody has a broken bone, mending the bone so that it goes back. Restore them, but it's from sin. And what does Matthew say? Judge not lest ye be judged. And some of you have read verse 5 now. Verse 5 says, To deal with the plank in your own eye, then. Oh, you are still supposed to deal with other people's sin. Then. But the warning of Matthew chapter 7 is actually the same warning we get here in Galatians chapter 6. Watch out. When you're dealing with other people's sins, You're a sinner too. But don't be a hypocrite and just go diving in and trying to fix everybody else's problems. That's what the legalists do. Jesus' harshest words in the Bible are for legalists. Most scathing word. God hates pride. There's a list in Proverbs chapter 6. Seven things that the Lord hates. Number one, pride. God opposes the proud. When you're proud, you're actually fighting against God. Warning. That's why there's a warning in Galatians chapter 6 here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not lest ye be judged. But then verse 5 says this, remove the plank from your own eye, then, so you have surgery, an operation, then you are to deal because you care about people. You're not doing it to show that you're better. You're not doing it to show how bad their sin is. You're doing it because you care about them. It's too much to try and bear your own sins. Bear one another's burdens. Examine yourself. Why does it say what it says in verse 3 here? If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself because you're going to have pride. What's verse 4? But well, let each one test his own work. Look at your own life. Deal with the plank in your own eye. And then your reason to boast, it'll be in yourself. Let's see if you have anything to boast about then. and Not in your neighbor. He's alluding to the idea of uh, like the Jerry Springer syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? And everyone here has never seen Jerry Springer. I'm totally sure of that. It's an interesting show because no one watches it, but it's been on TV for like 25 years, right? Well, one time I was sitting in the doctor's office lobby and I saw an episode. That's probably like what happened, right? Jerry Springer, why do people watch Jerry Springer? So you can go, well, at least I'm not like that. At least I'm not doing that stuff. At least I'm not fighting on national TV. Jesus tells a parable about Jerry Springer. (laughs) Not exactly. But it's the same idea. It's in Luke chapter 18, where there's a Pharisee and a tax collector. They go to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee comes in and he says, thank God, look at all the stuff I've done, and thank you that I'm not like this wretched guy. The Jerry Springer episode over here. And that guy's on the ground going, God, I, don't, I got nothing. And then Jesus says, that guy went away justified. Not the other guy. God opposes the proud. Gives grace to the humble. The warning here is, when you're carrying burdens with other people, it's not, hey, look at me. I'm, I'm the one who helps other people with their burdens. Hey, I, I'm the one that gets involved. I'm willing to get messy. I'm one of those Christians. Look at how awesome I am at this. warning, warning, this is dangerous work, this is eye surgery, this is delicate stuff, warning, be cautious here, and then he says, interesting statement here, because some people tend to just jump in and help with everything, verse 5, for each one will have to bear his own load, how does verse 5 not contradict verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and then it says in verse 5, for each one will have to bear his own load, (laughs) how's that? Certainly Paul's smart enough that if he's going to contradict himself, he's not going to do it within three verses. What's he doing here? Well, you can figure it out when you notice, and the English translations make this really clear, it's not the same word, burdens, as load. I'm not talking about the same thing. Bear one another's burdens. What's a burden? It's like a heavy stone, a weight that one individual cannot carry for an extended period of time. A load? Load is the word for like a backpack, a cargo ship, uh, the, the container that it will carry that it's normally carrying. This is life's normal responsibilities. These are the things that God gives you. So when Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy burden, I'll give you rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. My burden is easy. This is what you're going to When you stand before God one day, no one else is going to be able to give an account for how you handled your load. It's you before God. But what we will give an account for is, do we bear one another's burdens? because we all got stuff that's beyond what we can handle. So what what are we gonna do about that? Well, that's why we need each other. So let me ask you the question from the beginning. What's the greatest burden in your life? What'd you write down? Some of you wrote it down, some of you rebel. I know no matter what I say, you would never write anything down, totally get that. But you've maybe thought of something, what is it? Let me ask you another question. Who can help you with that? Who in this church can help you with that? And then, who can you help with theirs? Whose can you help with? And Maybe it's a sin burden, and you're going to be like a Nathan. Gently, gently helping them see their own sin. Not pointing it out so you can feel good about you, because you care, and you don't want them trapped in sin. That is, that's what it is to hate the sin love the sinner. You get involved in their lives. It requires relationships. It's not just a slogan like, hey, let's go stand, sit in an auditorium together with a bunch of people, and then we never have to talk to each other again. Let's, let's live this out. If we did revolutionary stuff, can you imagine how different this is than our culture? I can pray and we can sing a song, we can leave, but what if we did this? Like, what if we actually did this stuff? You know how crazy that would be? People would notice that. Be like, those people, some people will just be like, they're weird. But God's designed us that we need this. It's not good to be alone. Let's pray.